Hey everybody, and welcome to the Dry Life Podcast, a podcast for the alcohol-free lifestyle and sober curious. I'm Kayla Lyons. And I'm Beth Bowen. We're so glad y'all are here. Now let's get started. All right, guys. So today we don't really have a guest on the podcast. We're actually switching things up and I have brought an amazing co-host on board. A lot of you may know her. She's been on The Dry Life before. She is head of content over at Reframe App, um, which is our new sponsor. Hey, Beth. Hey, Kayla. Thanks for having me. For sure. Welcome aboard. Yeah, I am so excited to be a part of this. I just really admire all of the work that you have done here at The Dry Life and A Thousand Hours Dry and Reframe and just really love this podcast form. So I'm excited to get going. For sure. So why don't you give a little background for anybody who maybe didn't listen to your episode or who doesn't follow, um, you know, your journey on online? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, my name is Beth Bowen. I guess I should start with Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Um, I am a mom of two boys and I live outside of Austin, Texas. Um, I've been sober for a little over three years. I quit alcohol on September 29th, 2017. Uh, At the time, I had really just, my son was young. My first son, Will, was young and my alcohol use had just really expanded once I, I had kids and really kind of bought into that whole mommy wine culture, hook, line, and sinker. And so I, after a lot of day ones, decided that I was just done with it and uh, have really just built a life around this idea of being alcohol-free ever since. And it really has just added so much value to my life. So I really love connecting with other folks on similar paths, even folks on different paths and getting to just know this really vibrant life experience that so many of us have that looks different for everyone. But uh, we have, you know, this one thing in common about removing this substance from our lives. And it's just become a real, a real uh, passion of mine to, to talk about these things. Well, I'm glad to have you, Beth. And I'm glad that we are on this kind of evolutionary journey together. I I look back at the last like two years or the last year and, you know, um, it's been pretty transformative in the, in the sober community and the recovery community. Mm. So much has changed in so many good ways. And um, I think that kind of brings us to our topic for today's podcast, which is, you know, the change that's happening in the world, which is the world is, you know, reopening. And of course, nothing is for sure. And you know, it's definitely not going to be the way it was before the lockdowns, at least not at first. But I know when I think about everything reopening and going back to quote unquote normal, um, hmm. it gives me a lot of anxiety, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it. we're all starting over again. I It makes me think in many ways about the first time I ever went out into the world as somebody who didn't drink alcohol anymore. And all of the things that came up for me at that point in time, and it's almost like all of us are like new little baby sober people or alcohol free or whatever, sober curious people going out into the world again for the first time. And even if you haven't changed your relationship with alcohol, I I mean, I just think that so many of us are figuring out how to be out in the world again when we haven't had this practice for almost a year and a half. I mean, what are we 
a, over a year at this point. Um, so yeah, I think it's bringing up a lot of anxiety and I'm really hearing that in this sober space too, especially for folks who have maybe just recently changed their relationship with alcohol. Maybe they got sober during the pandemic or they decided to do a dry January, dry January and are sticking with that. And how do you go out into the world for the first time um, and kind of, kind of do this reintroduction. And it, I think it's one of those things that we all experienced at one point or another, but this pandemic and this isolation that we've had has really created a very unique container for just all this uncertainty and all of this fear of, of trying to, trying to figure out what the new normal is going to look like. Oh, totally. And I think I, I know for me, right. Like the pandemic definitely changed my relationship with alcohol, like I had been abstinent mm. from alcohol for almost four years. And I had my first drink during the pandemic. Right. And I, I had three different, uh, you know, nights, whatever you want to call them. Um, like, like I said, you know, I've, I've talked about it on other episodes. And, you know, people, people pretty much know my gist, but you know, I've, I've drank three times in the past year and a half. And right, I wouldn't consider them slips. But I think a lot of people did slip and a lot of people did relapse. And, mm. you know, like you said, it's scary to think about, okay, we've we've gotten comfortable. We've, you know, kind of readjusted our lives and our rituals to this normal. And now we have to readjust everything again. And I think change in itself is just stressful, like good change, bad right. change. And I know what gives an one of the things that gives me anxiety is, you know, social situations. And I think that's a huge Mm. one is, you know, it's easy enough to resist temptation when you're not around it. You know, it kind of goes back to the the metaphor of the cake in the fridge. You know, if you don't have cake in your fridge, it's pretty easy (laughs) not to eat it. But if there's cake in the fridge every night, you're more likely to be kind of like, well, fuck it. I'm going to have a piece. Um, I want that cake, (laughs) the cake. So I I think a lot of people, um, myself included, um, you know, I'm, I'm anxious about the social situations that are going to be coming back for, for many reasons, right? Like it's for me, it's not just like, oh, am I going to be more tempted to drink? It's, oh, my social anxiety is going to come back and, Mm, you know, my COVID anxiety and, you know, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, like, being afraid of people trying to figure out what's okay, what's not, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's completely new territory. Nobody in our generation has done it before. You know, it's been over what, like a hundred years since the last um, pandemic. So we're really all, I feel like that's one thing that I wanted to say was like, um, you know, nobody knows what they're doing and that's okay. Like, you know, no, you're not, no matter how we end up getting through this, we're going to get through it, but don't feel like you're doing it wrong because we're all literally just walking around in the dark and somebody's going to figure out where the door is and then we can all follow. But until then it's like, all right, here we go. Well, I think that's a really, that's a really interesting point too, though, that we are all figuring this out. And I feel like in many ways, this has really leveled the playing field for everyone as far as social interactions and being a human being out in the world, because we had built all these tools and we had built all these skills and learned how to be sober people socializing. 
And then I just have not really seen another person for how long. And so I I know for me, I, a big part of my drinking at first, it eventually became me drinking on my couch. But before that, it really started and the root of it really started with social anxiety. Mm -hmm. I am an extroverted introvert. Like I can turn it on when I need to, but really I'm very anxious in social situations. And I'm always wondering, you know, what's somebody thinking about me? Are they, and when I was drinking, it was always, are they drinking more than me? Am I drinking more than them? So for me, alcohol was a tool in social situations until it became something that, you know, was trying to blow up my life. But that's, that was almost the root of my initial introduction to alcohol was social situations. And so now that we're all going back into the world and have kind of forgotten how to socialize and how to um, be around other people, I think it, it puts it a unique position for those of us like you and I, who have had more alcohol-free days under our belts, you know, people can can look at us and say, like, well, they're farther along than I am. But really, all of us are going to go out into the world at the same time and figure this all out. <laughs> We're all figuring it out. We're all readjusting and re-socializing and remembering how to people and how to be around other human beings without being a total dork, which I am, like, the biggest dork mm-hmm. on earth. And so, <laughs> so I, I really, like, I just, I see it as an interesting, uh, interesting time for us all to just really, like you said, be like very human and understand we're all figuring this out. Nobody knows what they're doing. If anyone's telling you they know what they're doing, they're lying, they're bullshitting you. And I find comfort in that. I find, I find a little bit of peace. Like if I walk into a social situation and, and understand that it's probably pretty likely that everyone else is as anxious as I am. And I, I find, you know, a little bit of solace in that. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> I was, I went, you said that you're feeling anxious. What is, what's making you the most anxious about going out? I'm the just, world? For me. So part of why I drank also, right. Is social anxiety. Uh, for me, I, I wouldn't say the reason I, I mean, I, I was drinking, I started around 15, 16, um, but mm-hmm. I started actually developing panic attacks when I was like, 18 19 I had like a the first one I'd ever had a really bad one and it actually transformed really quickly into agoraphobia and I had to go I did this like really intensive outpatient treatment and that's what got me on the benzos and kind of started me Mm -hmm. on my drug addiction but um from for me so like I'm a very a very very a very uh highly sensitive person and it's something that comes Mm -hmm. along with I think having obsessive compulsive disorder um like Mm -hmm. noises really bother me certain bright things really bother me and definitely being in social situations and crowds like I cannot handle Mm -hmm. it sober like I just even we went finally because the movie theater was open and we went to see our first movie like Oh my gosh. I, I know it was so very bad. bizarre. Um, <laughs> but we went to the movie for the first time and if, there was only like, I think there was like two other couples in there. So it was, you know, like it felt fine, but we went to see Godzilla and I had to have my, I put my AirPods in my ears because it was just too loud for me. Like even being in a movie yeah. alone, like, you know, 
That's quite the movie to go out oh into the God. world and that be your first post pandemic totally. movie. Oh, it was great. <laughs> we, you, we, I mean, we rented that one and it's not very really. Good, I, it's very I, loud I'm like very... such a sucker for monster movie, so I I liked it, but definitely like it's a. I think it's a, a one you have to see on the big screen. Otherwise, it's like you know. Yeah. Um. It, well, it's pretty intense. Totally. Though. That's that's well, intense. That's just so like, but that to give you a picture, right? Like that's the kind of anxiety I have. Mm-hmm. Like I can't be in big crowds. I can't do loud noises. Like. I'm just, I get super overstimulated and I mm. just, um, free freak out. Like I internally cannot handle it. And so for me, part, a big part of the anxiety, like even today, like I started the agoraphobia started to come back and I started to get really comfortable. Yeah. Can you, ex- can you explain what agoraphobia for sure. is in case some of our listeners totally. don't know? So, um, agoraphobia is when it's usually an onset of like panic disorder, which is having, panic attacks because of panic attacks like it's not necessarily um triggered by anything specific it's just triggered by other panic attacks so really it's kind of fucked up because it's the the fear of having panic attacks (laughs) thus the disorder Mm. is like very cyclical um but agoraphobia is when you're starting to be afraid to leave the house and for me it's not even so much about like oh i think something is gonna like you know a car like something's gonna happen to me it's a very like broad fear and you can't explain it it's very Mm. irrational so Mm -hmm. I got super comfortable being inside the house you know I'm working from home now obviously for such a long period of time they told they told us you know only go out for essentials then I figured out that Amazon lets me deliver Whole Foods so I was like I don't even need to go to Mm. Whole Foods now like this is great um and I it kind of validated my my agoraphobia because I I had legit reason not to go out but then I, I let yeah, that absolutely. once it started to kind of lift I kept telling myself like no I don't want to go out I don't need to you know um and normally when I'm what I what I'm saying when I'm not kind of in a relapse of the anxiety um I'm a very outgoing person in the sense of like you know when I was working at the Pilates studio last year before COVID you know I would drive there all the time and I'd go and meet my, you know, like when I say a lot of friends, like I have like three friends. Right. Um, and when I say we go out, we're like going to lunch or like spin class. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So we're clear. Um, Hashtag yeah, 30. So you're not 30. No, I'm 28, but I feel, I feel like 80 inside. Um, but you know, so even my, like, I, I'm not normally somebody who's so avoidant, I would say, is maybe the right word. Yeah. Um, but now this has really brought back a lot of my old uh, kind of uh, avoidant personality characteristics. And, mm-hmm. like, today, now that we have this puppy, obviously we have to take it outside. But we have a little market because we live in uh, a complex and we live on the outside of it in our townhouse. And we have a little market in the middle, which is perfect because I wanted an avocado. Um, and <laughs> before I, I'm probably a month ago, I wouldn't have been, even been able to walk to the market. And I'm, this is probably like a mm. three minute walk. Um, yeah. And t- I've been building back up to it. So I was able to do it today. Like I, I took the dog with me. He was giving me a hard time, but I was able to go inside, but I, I'm, I'm ho- probably anybody else who's listening to this who doesn't have anxiety is like what the fuck um but if you do have anxiety like you totally get it you know I have like my comfort points that I'm like all right you know I can see the house or I can turn back here or 
you know, they have cold drinks inside. You know, if I start to panic, I can mm-hmm. grab a cold drink. Um, and I have all these, like, uh, my uh, rituals, they call them for OCD. Right. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at, right? Like, I'm walking three minutes away to the market, but I'm my driving mm-hmm. is shit right well, now. Well, so. yeah, that's a big it is, deal. So you. I'm just going to, like, point that out and say congratulations. So what are some of the, the ways that you were able to build up to that? And I think, I think this, this idea speaks to what we're talking about in a lot of ways, even if somebody is not struggling with anxiety or agoraphobia, like in a clinical yeah. sense, I think that there are so many tools that you have built to, to be able to get you to that point that really do translate in many ways for all these folks who are listening, who are about to go out into social situations, or maybe, I mean, I, I think in many ways agoraphobia has probably increased in our population just because like you said this has literally been literally been baked into what we've done for the last year so so what are some of the tools that enabled you to make that three minute walk so something I learned like so this has been right like a 10 10 year journey for me um and I've done a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy done a lot of dialectical behavioral therapy um meditating um one big thing I would say for me is, and it's funny that because I haven't, you know, when I think it's like anything else, and this is really parallel with sobriety. If I'm not doing the preventative stuff, it creeps, it creeps up Mm. on me. So for me, it's like, I need to meditate every day. Even if I feel like I don't want to, I need to do some sort of movement that doesn't mean exercise, exercise, because I also tend to over exercise. Um, that could just mean stretching for 30 minutes. Um, Mm. and you know, I, I have to eat, eat well and get my eight hours of sleep. Like I am a very regimented person and that works for me in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. And a a big reason why I think I never went back to drinking alcohol is because I created this really comfortable, happy, healthy lifestyle that alcohol didn't fit into Mm -hmm. anymore. But when I stop doing all those things and I, you know, if I start going out more, or if I start taking my emergency medication more often than I should and doing things mm. that kind of take me off that path, um, I find I'm at higher risk of going back into old behaviors, which can obviously lead yeah. to drinking or using. And so for my anxiety, I, I have a lot of the same tools. I need to do the meditating. I need to do a lot of self-care. And I think that looks different for everybody. Um Mm. I forget, I read something about it this morning, but it was just like, um, you know, cause I think people like my boyfriend, for example, I was laughing at him cause he was, I was like, what do you do for self-care? He's like, oh, you know, I hang out with my friends and, and, you know, have a glass of whiskey. I'm like, that's not self-care, bro. Like, yeah, no, booze is not self-care. It's, I was like, that's a vice, you know, but it's not yeah. self-care. So it's like, I mean, admittedly it is, totally. it is self-care. So if you're listening to this, I'm like, well, I thought it was helpful it's you know it's no not your fault. and, it, and it does temporarily totally use anxiety just how I love to right. shop but my credit card doesn't doesn't like yeah. that either so it's like you right. know we all have vices but it's really about finding vices I think that are not as harmful um well I mean it's it's a quick do- totally. dopamine hit it's what 
what fills that void and in, in realizing that all of these vices or whatever you want to call them, like shopping, like booze, like food, whatever, or sex, whatever it shows up as for you is an artificial dopamine yes. spike. And it's an exceptionally large dopamine spike. And so it gives our brain this hit of like feel good chemicals. And so the next time we're stressed, we want that feel good chemical and we want to have that dopamine hit and just finding the, the healthy substitutions that you can put in place. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm with you. Like I hate the over commodification of self-care. It has been marketed. It has been watered down and it really has become something that we kind of roll our eyes at, but really at the root of it, my whole ethos is like, how do we protect our body battery? We have this like internal body battery and how do we maintain it in a way that allows us to stay in our higher cognitive functioning and allow our prefrontal cortex where all our decision-making and stuff lives? How do we stay up there and not reduce our body battery so much that we are moved to those lower brain structures that are more interested in immediate gratification and pleasure and food and satiation And so I think what you said about how you meditate Mm -hmm. and you have all this preventative care that really speaks to that, that body battery concept and of keeping your body battery juiced up. So you never get so low that then you start reverting to the old habits. That's when we have a harder time saying no to a drink. That's when we let our anxiety get the best of us and we need something quick, something that will fix the problem and give us that dopamine really, really, really quick. And so I'm with you. Like for me, I have um, generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. I think you and I have talked about this before, I think yes. on this podcast. Uh, and and for me, it really is a body battery thing. I have to figure out what are the things that I can do throughout the day, starting in the morning, or like early in the morning, throughout the day, before I go to bed, that is going to keep my body battery like no lower than 50%. Because when I get to 50%, that's when I reach for the sugar. That is when... I zone out to Tetris on my phone or that is when I go binge Netflix because I know myself and that's when I get into that state. And so I think going into this, this idea of stepping out into the world and getting out there, understanding that it's not just about like learning how to socialize. It's learning how to care for ourselves and our physical bodies and our emotional bodies around that so that you have enough energy to even go out in public and, and go or go to Godzilla or whatever it is that you're you're gonna do. Um it's not just it's not just the social part. It's it's what do you do to equip yourself with the capacity to show up socially. Um yeah so I think that's what you were speaking yeah. to. And it like you said, I I I happen to be somebody who discredits myself really easily. So you're totally right. Like I need to mm. remind myself that's a big deal for me. Like a, mu- a month ago, yeah, huge. I was like probably the the, the little because we don't have trash cans outside because we're we have a sidewalk and then mm-hmm. we have an apartment complex in front of us, so we don't have like trash cans outside. We have to go take out the trash to an a, th- a little place. So that that before was kind okay. of my like limit. And I'm somebody also who's like mm. I have really bad driving anxiety. I got in a bad motorcycle accident a couple yeah. years ago, so I avoid driving at all costs. Um, and but I knew it was bad again when I was starting to be hesitant about going places like on foot. Um, but mm. like, to your point, right? So I I had noticed, you know, I had gotten really comfortable 
working from home. Um, when the gym closed, that was another thing. Cause I'm like super into oh, fitness. Yeah. And at first I was kind of freaking out, but then luckily I, no, I'm no longer a, a personal trainer, but I was a certified trainer for many years. And so I have lots of equipment. I know how to, you know, work out with body weight. Um, obviously it's just, it's different when you're used to going to a facility or going to classes and then, you know, doing it from home. So I was working out from home a lot, but then once again, you know, I got comfortable doing that too. Right. So the gym started to open up Mm. and I was like, uh, you know, that's all the way at the clubhouse, which is on the other side of our complex. And so unless my boyfriend was with me, I was like, not willing to go. And then of course that puts a strain on our relationship. Right. Because Mm. I've become kind of codependent. Um, but all these things, right. Um, like I said, I've been dealing with over the last 10 years. So some of what I have to personally do to push myself is, and why I thought it was funny is because I've done all this, all this therapy, like so many years and so much fucking therapy. Um, but this simple, I read atomic habits last year by James clear. So good. But his two minute rule really reminded me and it really stuck with me. Um, And kind of gave me the confidence to push myself a little and to kind of divulge in that if you haven't read the book, um, this is kind of a a habit starting uh, like little tip. He says, if you're looking to start a new habit, start off with the two minute rule, which is do whatever it is that you set out to do, but only for two minutes, not not more, Mm. not less, just two minutes. And basically what you do is, you know, you start to get your body into that habit like Let's say for me, it's, it's driving. So I, you know, I, I get ready, I go and I sit in the car and I turn it on and maybe I drive, you know, out of the parking garage and like around the complex for two minutes. And after that, I go back. So I, I limit myself for that amount of time. And naturally the confidence comes back because I, I feel safe within the two minutes, but then after I start Mm. getting comfortable with two minutes, I naturally push myself and say, oh, well, you know, I'm already here. Why don't I just drive for a couple more minutes? You know, and I. Yeah, that's like an interesting habit formation to to exposure. Yeah, exactly. And so I kind of because <laughs> for me, what I found with my exposure therapy, and I think this can be kind of brought into a lot of things. I was putting my I was putting my my goal way too high. So I was going from not being able to do something at all, you know, this could be a social situation, driving, um, you name it. And I would be like, all right, well, since I'm a perfectionist and I have to do things 100%, like if I'm not able to drive all the way to the post office and back, I'm a failure. And that obviously doesn't work. What's your, do you know your Enneagram I think I-N-J-F. Oh man, I need you to. I okay, need you to I'm take the architect. That's that's I, what I know. Or the engram one. That's the number, right? Okay, the numbers. Yeah, it. I need you to take a test because I need to know what your enneagram is. I'm a three, and I'm also a perfectionist. Yeah, so I relate but to I'm, what you're saying. So that a lot. that for me, it's one when it comes to exposure therapy, is super difficult because I want to push myself, but not to the point where anybody with anxiety knows like. I will be exhausted, like driving for right. 10 minutes, like I'll come home and I'll have to take a nap because I've built up so much like cortisol mm. in my body. Um, but for yeah. me, what I found was really helpful was doing things by time rather than setting actual, like I have to go to Ralph's, I have to go to this because then if I fail, I feel 
kind of beaten down and then I'm probably less likely to do it the next day. So what I did instead was, all right, I'm going to go for like a couple minute walk or I'm going to just drive around for like five minutes. And that kind of gave me the freedom to, I could literally just go in circles in the parking garage for five minutes, or I could go to Whole Foods. And that kind of gave me Mm. less uh, constraint on my own self. And I think that that can be applied for a lot of things kind of going forward into this new world and this new social settings. And it's like setting boundaries for yourself that are, and and goals that are achievable and, and um, reachable and that you can build on. Like, remember that these are building blocks. Like think of it as Legos. You don't have to build the whole fucking thing right out of the gate. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Tell my children that. (laughs) But yeah, you know, I, I think that's for me, that's what works, right? Like that's, what's gotten me over the last month to be able to go to the market or drive to the gym and go work out by myself when before a couple months ago, I I could not do that for sure. Um, Was all those little steps that they take. Like, you know, I think people talk about it and sobriety all the time. We're really annoying about it. Like one day at a time, you know, do the work, (laughs) Yeah, but it's really hot up. It's that whole idea. I think of like, you know, one, one drop in the bucket, doesn't seem like a lot until you look at the bucket over time you know and it's full yeah well and I really love like going along with the drop the bucket analogy for me and when I'm when I'm working with clients I'm like okay how do we improve by just one percent I'm not going for like 100 percent. I'm not going for 50 percent I'm not even going for 10 percent how do I make this situation 1% easier tomorrow. And that is by those teeny tiny small steps, the small habits, the small triumphs, the, the three minute walk to the grocery or to the, to the market. Like that's, that's, that's part of it. And that's part of this building blocks. One of the things you were saying that made me think of it, I'm reading um, the book called burnout by, by Emily Negroski, I think is the name. I, I should have it. I don't have it in front of yes. me. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but it's a really, I'm really loving it so far. And they talk about the idea of completing the stress cycle. And so when you said that, like, once you'll go do this social situation and you have like take a nap because you have so much cortisol in your system, it really made me think of this. I think that a lot of us are going to experience um, almost like an emotional yes. hangover after we kind of re-enter the world. And that really is that cortisol in our systems. And it really is, you know, I, I, I talked to folks who are like, well, I have like a vulnerability hangover <laughs> right. or you, you get this physical sensation of you feel hungover. You're like, I didn't drink anything. Why do I feel like shit? And it's because it, the stress response, that cortisol that pumps into our bodies can can leave us feeling just as depleted and just as worn out as drinking three glasses of wine can sometimes. And I think that I I think a lot of us are going to face that going into the world of this kind of socialization hangover, even if we don't drink a drop of alcohol because of all of the energy that we burn off going into these social situations. So in this book, they talk about completing the stress cycle and how when we have our central nervous system activated when our fight, flight, freeze, and fawn response kicks in, which is what, you know, that's really all it is when we're nervous in a social situation. It's, it's our, it's our survival instincts telling us this is uncomfortable. And when we have that system activated, if we don't complete the stress cycle, if we don't kind of 
put a bow on it, then that's when the hangover comes. That's when the the feeling of just like being so worn out, being completely drained, like dreading it again for the next time. And this, this idea of this stress cycle completion is like, how do I burn off that energy and, or how do I calm my central nervous system in a way that's healthy in a way that kind of puts the spell on it. Um, and, and I think for so long, so many of us that was completed by alcohol and they, they talk about how we use these maladaptive coping mechanisms to complete the cycle. And it's because it's a quick fix and it's easy, easy to access. And I think that on top of just being people who are, are trying not to drink in social situations, we're going to have all of this added stress and all of this added um, Mm -hmm. cortisol in our bodies and, and really going into a social situation, knowing not, not, not to be afraid of it, but knowing like this is going to be taxing on my system and I need to know ahead of time how I'm going to complete this stress cycle in a healthy way, whether that is like eating a bar, a piece of dark chocolate or going for a run or like having sex when you get home or whatever that looks like, like completing that cycle, but knowing ahead of time. And I think it goes back to all of, you know, having a plan, having a game plan, knowing what your night's going to look like, knowing what your ideal night's going to look like, playing the tape forward, but just adding this new piece to it, like just an understanding and a grace for everyone and ourselves, especially that this is going to be a lot of cortisol pumping through our bodies. This is going to be a physical stress response we experience. Yeah. I have to remind myself because for me, it's, it's so much about perspective. Like one thing I read that somebody had, um, it was like just, you know, an, an Instagram, um, anxiety page, but they said, um, instead of calling it for me, like an anxiety attack or a panic attack, I call it an adrenaline overload or like an adrenaline attack. Mm, And I remind myself like, this is a, it is physiological. Um, but it's not real in the sense of I'm not in actual danger. Um, and so I I have to remind myself, you know, after doing a lot of research, like, okay, you know, it's just my heart rate is increasing and, you know, my blood is pumping faster. That's why I'm getting hot. And, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm in danger or I'm scared. Um, you know, my cognition's getting a little foggy, but I'm safe. Like I have to kind of repeat to myself, I'm safe. I'm okay. I'm with people that love me or, you know, I'm in a safe environment. There are other people here. Um, And I think kind of saying that little kind of mantra to myself, like, no matter what, I'm going to be okay. Like, no matter what. Mm, Yeah, I love that. I'm safe. I feel like that's a really good. Yeah, I just and it's a a repetition. I've I've learned so many, you know, over the years, but that one to me, is just simple and and just a reminder, because for me, I have actually been in, like, I was in a very, um, it wasn't so much physically abusive as I was in a relationship with another addict Mm. when I was still using. And then it became physical later on. And, um, I was in a very Mm. dangerous position. And so some, there are times when I think my body kind of goes back to that, you know, and I think there are so many people who've been in dangerous situations or traumatic situations. And so sometimes it does, it feels so real because you have really felt that need for fight or flight. Yeah. Or True, for danger. me, it was, you know, yeah. the motors, I've been the motorcycle accident, I got flung into the middle of the highway. Like it's very real for me, yeah. 
But then I have to remind myself like, okay, well, what are the likelihoods that something like this is going to happen again? You know, I'm in a very healthy relationship now with somebody I've known for 10 years. And, you know, I'm, I'm not getting on a motorcycle again. Like, well, I have, but with my dad, I'm not getting on a motorcycle with somebody who's on meth again. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so many things, but it's, it's hard when we're, I think when we're heightened and we're in that state, like I know for me, it's so hard to get out of that cognitive state of like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. But when I remind myself, no matter what, I'm going to be okay. And I have those, sometimes I know, like my therapist says, like, you don't have too many rituals, but once again, with OCD, it's hard. I remind myself things like where the nurse, I I know where the nearest urgent care is. I know I live really Mm. close to, there's a police station and a fire station right near our house. And so I kind of remind myself of like, even in the worst case scenario, like my panic attack turns into a heart attack or something, which never, you know, I mean, exactly. yeah, that's anxiety brain, um, but I know exactly know, what you mean. Okay. There are people around me. Like I've gotten through, like, I think about the worst panic attacks I've ever had. And I have to just remember I have survived everything, including all of the horrible drunk things too, that I like, don't know how I'm alive a lot of times. Um, I can, mm, yeah. I can get through this. I'm not going to like it. It's not going to be comfortable or fun. Um, but on the other side of this is more freedom. And, and that to me is worth mm. pushing and being uncomfortable and having that emotional exhaustion, you know, or that emotional hangover the next day. Because like you said, when I went to the market this morning, I didn't even really think about it, you know, and that kind of realized on the way back, mm, like, yeah. wow. I didn't, it wasn't a big deal. And I think. Well, and that's, totally. that's building resilience. Like I, I've, I've talked to people who are like, well, I'm just really nervous about the first social situation I go to. Like I quit during the pandemic and I don't know how yeah. to tell people I don't drink or anymore. And, and really like there is nothing like that exposure therapy. There's nothing like the practice of it and it will no. never be as hard as the first time. And I, I, I know sometimes like we want there to be a different answer than that. We want there to be a tool or a quick fix or a non-alcoholic beverage that's going to fix it and make it automatically okay. But the real answer is it, it's going to be hard the first time and then it will never be as hard as the next time. And so if you are listening to this and you have just recently removed alcohol for your life for now or forever, whatever that looks like for you. I'm, I'm not going to promise you that the first time you go out into a social situation, it's going to be perfect and flawless and you're going to feel super confident, but I will promise you that like 99% certainty the next time will be a little bit easier. And again, I really just think we're all going into this with a very level playing field. We're all, we all forgot how to people, we all forgot how to be around other people and we're all winging it and I take oh, yeah. a lot of comfort. And I, um, I, I laugh because it's totally true. Like my therapist always reminds me like the only way out is through like, and it, it mm. reminded me of this. Um, I, I guess it's maybe a poem, um, but it's from a book. And um, I, I, I feel like this will really speak to what we're talking about and people will kind of, it's short so I say I walk Mm. down the street there's a deep hole on the sidewalk I fall in I am lost I am helpless it isn't my fault it takes forever to find a way out I walk down the same street 
There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in it again. I can't believe I am in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I walk down another street. Mm. Yeah. So that just, I, I, I know, right? That's really Um, good. But for me, it's like, I have to remind myself, like, it's okay to fuck up. It's okay to Mm. like, to make mistakes and, and, or to, to feel like you're failing, you know, like there's an opportunity to be resilient, like you said, and, and do it right the next time, or even like skip the damn social event. Like if you really, you don't have to, like right. you don't have to do any of these things, but it does go back to the only way out is through and avoidance is, is I not really helpful. I mean, in some situations, I think it's, you know, necessary, but if you want to heal and if mm. you want to be able to do those things again, you know, then you, you can't avoid it. And so, I mean, I'm the same way with anybody else who's listening, who's like, I am dreading the first brunch, the first barbecue, you know, the first concert, like, uh, um, but <laughs> I'm right there with you. And I kind of, what has helped me too is like setting boundaries for myself and letting my partner know too. Um, so if we go somewhere and he's going to be drinking, then we'll Uber there. That way I'm not like kind of stuck there with the car if I want to leave and I'll Uber home or even sometimes like, I think we went out to a gathering probably like a couple weeks ago, um, for a friend's birthday and, it was at a house we go to a lot. So, you know, with the same people we see all the time. So I wasn't so much nervous about the the people itself, but just any time for me now, I think with a lot of people, you know, COVID's real. Like, so it's, you know, I get a little oh, nervous. Yeah. Me and my boyfriend haven't had it. And most of our friends have. And even though we're both, you know, very low risk, young, I have no, you know, autoimmune disorders, no, um, you know, no risk it still like scares me. And so, yeah, it's scary. You know, I, I, I went and it was fine, but you know, I, I think I maxed out at like two, three hours. I'm like, all right, I've talked to everybody. Mm. I've eaten the snacks. I've petted the dog, you know, like I've done the rounds. <laughs> it's like, it's like that meme about, Oh the my God, I reposted that was so accurate. I'm like, Tell everybody how sober so I am. Petting the dog. There's always one person that's like <laughs> talking to me about how they want to drink less. Like, oh god, I, it's, the worst. I mean, sometimes I love it though. I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten some of these people books. I've had some of these people do the thousand hours dry challenge. Like, yeah, that's that's a good point. You have well, good resources. Totally, but to it, turn it is too. sometimes it's annoying being like the sober person at the party because everybody is like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna go talk mm. about problems." Because <laughs> there. They have their yeah, shit together. Like such, a, such a mirror for them. Well, that's like the assumption, right? Like they must have their shit together. Like they're so, how are you so disciplined and, and you know, yeah, sane? I'm just like, you have no idea. 
I'm not at all. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm just disciplined because if I were to drink, oh, I would totally. drink like seven bottles. I'm like, I think so you guys look deal. dumb. You don't even know what it would look like if I was like, sure, I'll join you. <laughs> um, but it was kind of one of those nights, right? Like wh- what you said, like it was a stimulation overload. Like I, I had given enough of my battery to to be at the event and to mm. be around the heavy drinking and um, not feel – I didn't feel at risk of drinking, but you know, there's always there's always a little temptation. I feel like even at – you know, I'll be five years in recovery this year. Um, the 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 rosé-colored glasses, as they say, right? Like, they're always going to yep. come on when there's a good time. Like, I, I had a great time, you know, with, with good people I liked and good food and good music. Um, but, you know, after, like I said, it was two or three hours, my battery was running really low, and I went to call the Uber – and I was on the way home and I started to get a panic attack and I was about halfway there. Mm. And I was like, you know what? Like, I really don't want to have to take one of my emergency meds. Like I really am trying to take less. So I just, I was super, I, I find that when I'm super transparent, people are so nice. Like, and it's, it's funny because there's so much shame for me around my anxiety and my panic attacks. But when yeah. I'm just so open about it, people are very receptive. And I just was sitting in the Uber and I was like, Hey, um, so I'm having a panic attack. Do you mind turning back to the house Mm. that we were at so I can get my boyfriend? He was like, yeah, of course. And almost immediately that kind of relieved me. And then. Mm. Isn't it so crazy that like the connection of that piece just turns I'm just talking to people too. I notice like if I'm at the market or at the grocery store, or if I make contact with somebody somehow, like, just whatever, like my, like totally off on a, on a tangent really fast. But one thing I did when, before COVID, when I was doing my exposure therapy, my therapist would tell me whenever you go somewhere, give somebody a compliment. And that would kind of, mm. for me, a make me feel better because making somebody feel good. But you also, like you said, having that contact moment and all of this yeah, it like grounds you in it. And a so that's kind more. of how it felt like because that Uber, it's, you know, you're getting in the car with a stranger. I hate cars. I'm feeling t- t- kind of trapped. And then I kind of br- broke that down by just being super honest about what was going on. And I feel like Uber drivers are kind of like therapists, too. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I called my boyfriend and he drove back in the Uber with me and then got an Uber back, you know, and it felt I felt a little mm. defeated, but then I kind of reminded myself, you know, you were just at this gathering for like three hours and you were running low and it got too much and you got home and you're home now alone. You know, you didn't ask your boyfriend to stay at home. I said, yeah, no, go back out. You know, like I'm fine. And I think. Well, and I see, I totally. see a bunch of wins in that. You left when you knew you needed to, and you asked for help on the way home when you were in the middle of a panic attack. Oh, like, yeah. That's well, a big I think deal. so many of us asking for help is so hard. Like, mm. I know for me, it was really hard when I was getting sober, and because there was so much shame around it. Like, oh, well, you're an alcoholic, yeah. or you have an, you're an addict. Like, for right. me, even, like, because I was also – like my drug of choice was, was pills. Like alcohol is for me secondary. Yeah. So there's something even more, I don't know why, but it feels like even worse to call somebody like an addict. No, even over an alcoholic. And I don't know yeah. what it is, but I hear you. you know, to really have to step into this identity of like, you're an addict, you know, you're a drug addict. Mm. Right. And 
then you're, you're going to treatment and, you know, you've basically got this scarlet letter on you and you're going to be different for forever. And on top of that, right. I already had been dealing with mental health issues and going to therapy since I was eight. Um, so it was, it was, and still like, like so much shame around like being different, being alienated, being isolated, mm-hmm. but I've just found like, I think through this podcast, through um, being a guest on other podcasts and, um, you know, conferences and talking to people, like the more transparent I am, or like when I was open, you know, on Instagram about, you know, drinking in Vegas, like I had never had so much like love and support from people. I got to tell you, I have people that are like, you know, Kayla, right? And I was like, yeah, I know Kayla. And they're like, that post that she posted about Vegas was so formative for me because it gave me this permission to like, just, just be more forgiving and more gracious with myself. No, to- no, so, totally. Yeah. Was, <laughs> I've, had, I've had people reach it was, out to me. You know, for me, post. and it, it was random because I literally hadn't even, like, I was just like, well, I haven't posted on Instagram in a while. Maybe I should. Um, so not cause it's a personal account for me. It's not, you know, an influencer account. Um, right. Right. Like, well, and I've been an influencer and you know, the whole <laughs> world it seems cringy, but at the same time, like, I feel like people should wear it with a badge of honor because like you are influencing mm. people's thoughts and that's really important and very powerful mm. and can be very harmful and you have to be careful. Um, yeah, but it was, yeah. it was funny because I, I was looking at pictures you know, right? Because I'm like, well, I haven't taken anything recent. So uh, let me find an old photo. And I, I was looking at that picture. and I was like, Oh, this is such a cool picture. I don't know why I never posted it. And I was like, what caption I was going to do like a Kanye West post. And I was like, you know, this is kind <laughs> of I was like, this feels inauthentic, because I know that this is the night that I drank. Mm. And even though I've been open about it, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel authentic to just not let people know that that's what that was because even though you know I like you can say that I'm sober you can say that I'm not I don't care to me I've been in recovery I'm that that date to me stands for that's really when I started my recovery journey journey totally and you know full consecutive absence days or not alcohol is not part of my life and I would say like you said out of the you know 16 17 100 days I've been sober three of them I didn't you know it's like this perfection once again for me doesn't work so when I decided to to be open about that and it kind of just came out right because I somebody else actually gave me the permission like I had a host I had a co-host from one of the thousand hours dry pages and I won't name them but um one of the co-hosts from one of the the chapter pages had reached out to me like probably seven months ago um, and they were like, hey, you know, because I was asking people, hey, guys, it's the new round. Who can stay on? Who who wants to stay? And yeah. they reached out and they were like, hey, you know, I really want to stay, but I just want to be open with you. You know, I'm not totally abstinent. Um, I am sober curious. Kind of I was, you know, sober for like 19 months and now I'm kind of trying the mindful drinking thing. Um, I totally understand if you want me to step down. And like my first thought was just like, no, of course not. Like you're a great host. Like this is your way of staying accountable and committed to this community. Um, and your journey is your own, you know, and that in a way kind of, it's something I had thought about, you know, 
I think all of us go through the motions, right? Like, um, but especially after three and a half years of abstinence and doing a lot of healing, a mm. lot of internal work and not, to, not seeing it so much as like a, a relapse, but curiosity. And then in that turn kind of gave me permission. And, and like I said, you know, I talked about in the post, like to, to not be so afraid of it, but to see what my relationship mm. still was. And, you know, it's very different, but still, I don't have interest. It doesn't serve me, but yeah, I mean, I got a call from like Trish. I, one of my good friends from, um, unwasted, the founder, she called me and yeah. she talked to me about it. And then a couple months later, she was very open about how she had a glass of wine herself. And, you know, she kind of needed to call me. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of people will take this as like, Oh, you're giving people permission to relapse or whatever. And it's like, absolutely not like there's also a huge difference between no. a relapse a slip and somebody consciously making a decision to say you know what I'm I've been doing the work I want to see if this is something that I might want to have in my life or you know try out however you know and I think it's something you have to think about for a, such a long time and you want to talk to a lot of people about it and you really want to make want to make sure um but you you need permission because I think for me like as somebody who used to do a very rigorous 12-step program and coming out of that and still really having to unlearn so much of kind of like the brainwash (laughs) um (laughs) yeah I mean I I think you know I've talked about this I'm just I I believe it's so important to demystify this kind of stuff because that is such a a problematic viewpoint of the, the recovery world or sober influencers or whatever it looks like that like they have five years of straight sobriety and they're perfect shiny people when for many of us, it was a very nonlinear process. And even I've shared, I think I shared on this podcast, I went 550 Mm -hmm. days of complete abstinence and then I tried drinking for three weeks and immediately I conducted it like a science experiment. And like you said, I love the idea of curiosity and of going into it. If, if you choose, if this is part of your path of, of just being curious and, and mindful. And so it was a completely different experience for me when I tried drinking again than when I was in active addiction with alcohol. And I, I think it's important to demystify this and and to, to kind of remove this concept of complete abstinence. Everyone you admire is completely abstinent, always has been, and really break down the barrier of like, no, many of us have tried many different ways of, of being people who are sober or sober curious or mindful drinkers. And everyone's path is valid and whatever, especially coming back to going back into the world after COVID, I mean, there, there might be, it might not be that abstinence is the right path for you going forward. Or it might be that you, you like lock in this abstinence piece and you realize this really does help you go going forward. And I think it's, it's all of this data Mm -hmm. that we've collected. We've been collecting data. We've all been at home. We've all either realized our drinking has gotten out of control and cut back or we were already sober or whatever that looks like for us. We've gotten a lot of data. We have a great baseline. And so now once we step out into the world and we see 
what what the next the the my husband the the after times like you know we have the before times and the after times once we step into the after times we have a really good idea of what our baseline is and I think even outside of alcohol all of us are going to go into this next iteration mm-hmm. of society really having a different understanding of our priorities and a different understanding of what we will and will not fuck with, (laughs) whether that is alcohol, whether that is social situations that we always hated and we never had the guts to say we hated, whether that is a job that we hated and now we have to go back to the office. I think that we're all going to step into this knowing what our baseline is now and having, having this understanding of who we are at the core. Like when we have to sit with ourselves, when we have to stay home, when we have to be in our bodies without distraction when we have to kind of like have this global reset that we've all had and and now we just really have a lot of data going forward and so for me it's really just a a mindfulness around what I have come to not not to say like what I've become complacent with but what I've really become comfortable and rooted in in this time in quarantine in this time in in social distancing and knowing going forward okay here are my priorities here are the things that are important to me. Here are the things that are not important to me. Like you will never ever find me yeah. at a loud bar again in my life. Like I used to, I used to try to pretend that I could socialize in loud bars, even as a sober person. And now I'm like, are you kidding me? I will never step foot in another bar ever again. I have no desire to, won't fuck with it. And, and I think that once we just get really clear on that, once we, we get really real with ourselves about, okay, this is, this is what's important to me. This is what's not. This is what supports me. This is what doesn't support me. Um, I find that to be a really empowering stance. Oh, to yeah. Into the yeah it's all about boundaries, right? Like, I, I'm the same way. Like, there are and, – and I think, too, like, for anybody who's in a relationship, especially if you're in a relationship with somebody who's not sober, um, you have to navigate with that mm. person. Like, it is all about you in a lot of ways, but then it, it's yes. not because – you're in a relationship and you know if I had it my way I would never go out and do anything like well maybe you know what I mean like I do have like <laughs> luckily you know as people know like there there are thankfully a good group of um of sober women that live nearby me that I know yeah come hang, so come hang. but so but yeah cool. we have like a group chat know. you know and, like, I'm getting everybody I think we're we're getting together maybe next weekend to do like a brunch um but it, it's it's finally it's nice to be around other sober women who know like we don't need to hang out every weekend we don't need to be doing the crazy yeah. crazy things you know like last time we hung out uh like Esther came over from sober otter and my cousin was in town and we just did vision boarding out by the pool and then yeah I came in and made pizza so and then fun. we saw this really weird show on Discovery Plus called like um like it's it's about like these weird uh like body dysmorphic uh diseases people have like um totally yeah, right see, that sounds like my idea of a good time vision boarding the pool exactly. pizza and a weird discovery so show that's kind of you know and I, I can do that for one one night a week if that and I'm and I'm pretty happy but for my for my partner he needs to be with like not that he needs but for him he he enjoys being social. He enjoys seeing his friends and not mm-hmm. going to the bar so much anymore, but, you know, uh, going and doing a double date night or have, or, you know, doing a fight night or sports, you know, all that stuff. Um, 
that I don't care about. Um, and, but, and, and for him, you know, it's, he really needs that. He's a very social person. Like literally we, we even took those like spirit animal quizzes and he's a butterfly. Like he literally is a very social butterfly and a literal mm. butterfly apparently. So, and I'm a snake. So that just, yeah, literally shames a butterfly. Shane, you hear that? A you're a butterfly. I was like, well, that doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> I mean, I know. that makes a lot of sense. I was like, well, I wasn't Slytherin, so. Um, but, you know, I have to I have to make um, compromises, right? Because did I really want to go to that party? Fuck no. Um, you know, but I recognize, like, yeah. we, we are in a big group of people who are all couples. And, you know, there's really not a lot of other single people. And he has to show up to a lot of stuff alone because I don't want to go. Or because, you know, they like to party and, you know, like – even if they're just hanging out drinking um, and listening to music, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, And so I do have to compromise and you have to find a balance, I think, with your partner and and say, hey, you know, these are the things that I'm not willing to do um, that for my, for my sobriety, for my mental health, these are the things I'm willing to work on. Um, And kind of, we have like, you know, unspoken agreements of like how many times I'll go out in the month or you know who I'm willing to hang out with and yeah like his birthday's coming up so we're having I'm having a barbecue and it's like that's kind of more in my what wheelhouse because it's like in my environment you know mm. I'm, I'm kind of in control and I think it's fine BYO, exactly. B-Y-O-N-A-B's. B-Y-O-N-A-B's. exactly. So, but it's, beverages. you know I'm finding what's going to work for me in the future and it's kind of like we were looking at houses not that we're super close to that yet but you know I was like I'm, I'm totally up for the idea of having because you know we live in Southern California the weather's great all the time I was like you know it doesn't give me so much anxiety to think about having people over at my house and having you know like hosting barbecues or you know whatever game nights things like that outside um, and being able to go inside my own home whenever I want to and just kind of you know tapping out um, versus something about going out doesn't make me as comfortable. And I think it's really just about finding what you're comfortable with and then being very open and having a lot of open communication because that was the really important to me Mm. is realizing that I might be thinking it, but if I'm not saying it, he's not going to know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you and I have that in common. My partner drinks as well too. So it really is is a boundary setting. I think that's a great transition to ask your like number one tip for oh, yeah. folks going out into the world after COVID and, and trying to be sober people out in the world or sober curious or whatever that I think it's, I think like it's just really setting boundaries for me is like the number one goal is like whether mm-hmm. you do it by week or by month, like I, I'm a very like planner person. So like I have a planner, I have a calendar, I, everything for me, I'm a lot more comfortable and willing to do something if I can plan ahead and like you said have a strategy so I think Mm -hmm. it's not so much you know not doing anything but planning ahead and and you know making an effort because it is important I mean we're humans we need social interaction um on some level and so I think it's planning ahead is super helpful like for me and having, having that plan of, all right, yeah. I know where we're going. Can I call the place ahead of time? Do they have any 
any beverages? Can I bring my own if that's something that's allowed? Um, am I, you know, what time are we going to leave? If you want to stay later, all right, let's Uber so I can go home when I want to. Um, and for me, all of that really gives me a lot more confidence going into social situations when I am out now and then even in the future. It's really, for me, the the more I have kind of control of in a way, uh, the, the better I feel. And then that way, when things happen that I can't control, um, I'm, I have a plan. And that way I don't revert back to, oh, fuck, the plan's gone. I'm going to drink or I'm going to get high. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love that. And that makes me think of, totally. I'm going to like tag on a little tip to yours because that I really, if I'm choosing the restaurant, I will choose a place that has a good NA beverage list. Like if they have like at least three fancy mocktails for me, that's where I'm going to pick. And I also like looping in a friend who I know is going to be in that group because like sometimes they'll suggest a good restaurant and it like Mm -hmm. even takes less pressure off of me. And I, I don't know, just like if you have, if you're a restaurateur or like a person who makes menus listening to this podcast, just know that if you have at least three mocktails on your menu, I will like worship you. If forever. you build be it, we so will come. Thrilled to be at your restaurant. Exactly. Build it and we will come. Oh, yeah. We are dying for it. So just a little, my little 1.1 for yours. So I think coming back to what we talked about earlier, I think my biggest mm-hmm. tip is like managing that body battery and really doing a good job before and after an event of taking like super sweet care of yourself. I think it's Jen Sincero in her You're a Badass. Um, she talks about like extreme mothering and like just viewing yourself as a uh-huh. sweet little bunny trying to figure it all out. And like that is, I have like internalized that mantra so much. It's like so squishy and, and happy for me. Like I'm just a sweet little bunny trying to figure it out. But just that idea of like really digging into all of the things that help juice up that battery so that I have enough energy to go into a social situation and not be so burnt out before I even get there that I'm going to drink because I'm fried already. And so I think like just really understanding that this is a stressor and whether you like, even if you're excited to go, even if you're excited to see social, excited to see the people and excited to socialize, it's a new environment for us again. And it is a, a physical stressor. And so really just focusing on like that before and after care of just making yourself feel really good so that you are equipped and you have the capacity totally. to not drink. And in that I, I think setting. to end on this note, like going back to always speaking speaking up for yourself, like, you know, getting the courage to, but a mm-hmm. perfect example, like we were just at Total Wine, um, getting some non-alcoholic beers and the section's getting bigger and bigger every time I go. And now they, they even had a little section yeah. like, at the end of, of one of the aisles that normally just has, you know, like the snacks and like random stuff, but they had set up a whole nother non-alcoholic section, like total. I know they literally even had but like a yeah, poster that said, cool. you know, like drink less. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm in a wine store and they're promoting less. Like, I, I yeah, I think I posted it on my story a couple weeks ago when I was there last time. But what what I realized, too, is like, if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. And so I we were at we're, you know, checking yeah. out and I was like, you know, I really like because I'm not I, I've tried all the NA options and I'm really not a big anything drinker. Like, I think I was just sober for so long without anything. 
mm. that I'd just rather have a seltzer, but, um, I, I do enjoy yeah. an NA beer every once in a while. Um, we were going to have a picnic, so I thought, why not? And I really like liars and some of these like, um, non-alcoholic spirits that are just, you can just drink on the rocks. Um, yeah. but I just asked them, I was like, Hey, like, um, you know, I know you guys have any wines, but like, do you have any, any spirits or like, would that be something that I could request? And they were like, yeah, actually, you know, like here's mm. the manager's email and he's here Monday through Friday and you can request something. And we're more than happy to, you know, if we feel that the customers want it, you know, like we're happy to order it and see how it does. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally gonna, cool. you know, like ask for all these things. And I think that's another thing that I like another initiative kind of I want to do on the side is like start to get my county to make sure that restaurants actually have these options because there's vegan options and there's gluten-free options and there's way more sober people in the United States than there are (laughs) vegan people no offense vegan people but um you know yeah no kidding I I have to remind myself and this pertains to literally everything you're not going to get it if you don't ask and don't be afraid to ask because that's such a good point. You know, I have a staycation coming up in a couple weeks and I'm going to like call all the restaurants in advance and be like, hey, do you have a sweet n- totally. menu? If you don't, can you make me one? <laughs> no, but I think that's a really good point. And it's it's like you said, if they know that there's a demand for exactly. it. Exactly. Like, and you never know. Like you demand. said, if you're the first one to ask and then there are options there, you never know who's going to be walking by and see that and then choose to drink that over the alcoholic beverage and that's why I think I love reframe so much and being part of this this evolution that we're you know continuing forward with you and I and the team is you know it's not just about abstinence not everybody's ready for that and that isn't for everybody so how can we help people and you know people who are on the fence people who just want to drink less and they've got another options are out there too just as much as sober people do so I think you know you don't, you never know who you're speaking to. You never know who you're helping out. And I, it really mm. goes back to that whole kind of quote of like, my mess is my message. So I, I love that. Mm. And, but yeah, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm so stoked to have you and, and have this podcast be ours and move moving forward and seeing, you know, what kind of conversations we can have and, you know, how we can, how we can help people. Me too, Kayla. I really admire what you've built here. And so I'm incredibly honored to be a part All right, of it. Beth, well, really excited to go forward. It's amazing to talk to you. We will talk next week and we'll see. Maybe we'll have a special guest. All right. Bye, Bye. guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dry Life Podcast with Kayla Lyons and Beth Bowen. If you want to connect with us, do so on Instagram at reframe underscore app you can also connect with us on our personal instagrams we hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you could take something from it have a great day